Ah, it's one of those nights. Hey, Jeff, can you hit preaching blue? We, we lost our lights. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Well, um, here we are at the end of the Beatitudes. And we're as I mentioned last week, we went a little out of order. We were hoping to have our friend Jason, uh, who is a longtime friend of the ministry, and shares on Sunday on our uh, psalm uh, devotionals that were on Sunday nights, now Saturday mornings, and shared in Faith Tree. Join us a few weeks ago, and then he got COVID. He's been recovering wonderfully, thankfully. It took a long time, but he's on the mend. So he's hopefully we're we're prayerfully hoping to have him in the next series. But we're jumping back to where he was going to preach, which is "Blessed are the meek." And as we do that, um, well, it's just to think for a moment. Blessed are the meek. And, and when we think about what Jesus is saying, that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, one thing we should ask is, well, who are the meek? Do I qualify? Sort of like, do you ever, you hear the radio commercial, the TV commercial, maybe you get the, the uh, little postcard in the mail, you may be qualified for a settlement if you, you know how that goes? Uh, purchased motor oil at Walmart between... January 1st, 2010, and 2015. No offense to Walmart. Uh, don't take us down Walmart, please. Uh, <laughs> but we know a million of those, right? We get them, and, and sometimes I even think, is this even legitimate? I don't know if I want to fill out the information because I don't even remember if I bought this and how did they get my information if I did. Sometimes I, I know I did, and so I, I'm more anxious to fill it out. But, but you may qualify for a settlement. And if I have any sense I might apply, then, then I start to read through it. Do I really qualify? And do I still have the proof that I qualify? And is it going to be worth it? Is it going to be 50 cents? And it, it, by the time I fill out the put postage on the postcard and so on, I've already lost it. You, all these things. But I want to know, will I qualify? That's a question we should ask when we hear these Beatitudes. Do I qualify for the offer? Is, is, do, I, do I meet the standard? Am I going to receive it? And, and Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so, who are the meek? Am I meek? Do I qualify for the settlement or, or not? And Because it sounds awfully good. It, it is, the inheritance is the earth. Well, I'd like to, to be part of God's kingdom. I'd like to inherit the earth. Well, how do we understand the meek? We're going to do that tonight by actually going back to Psalm 37. We talked about that a couple months ago in our Psalm devotional. And we're going to go back there because verse 11 actually references the same promise. And in fact, as Jesus said it, I'm sure he had this in mind for people to be thinking about. The psalmist says, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant So those words echo what Jesus is saying. He does say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is land. But many of the translations that people would have been familiar with in Jesus' day said earth. And it's certainly a possible translation. And so when Jesus says this, they're not thinking, well, it sounds sort of similar. They're thinking, Jesus is quoting Psalm 37. And Unlike us today, I don't know about you, I'm not the best at memorizing things. I wish I were better at it. But, but the people uh, of that day were excellent at memorizing things because they, 
Well, they didn't have the luxury we do where we just get a printed book. So if you want to know the Psalms, you memorize the Psalms. If you want to know the Scriptures, you memorize the Scriptures. And so they did. They did that. Isn't that mind-boggling? But they did. And so when they hear Jesus referencing Psalm 37, they're thinking about Psalm 37. I, I say that reference, right? And we turn there. But what they often did is they'd say the words and people would turn there in their mind. And so if we want to understand who the meek are and, and how it is that they inherit the earth, how they inherit God's kingdom, we should turn to Psalm 37. And that's what we're going to do tonight. And as we do that, it's going to help us to situate everything that we've been thinking about these past nine weeks about what it means to be part of God's kingdom. What does it mean as, us, for indi- as individuals? What does it mean for us as a church? What does it mean for us as the church globally? What does it mean today if we as Christians are going to be the meek? Because here's the thing, if the meek are those that are going to inherit the kingdom, then, then this isn't just a nice thing for people that happen to be meek. This is what we want to be. This is what it means to be God's people. Because God's people inherit the kingdom. In, in other words, this isn't just a little promise that Jesus, that Jesus throws in for really me. nice, sweet people that happen to be meek, and then everyone else, they can hold on to the other promises. This is a calling. And if it's a calling, then everything else builds upon that. And in that way, it's sort of like a cornerstone. We started the very first night, and I made reference to the cornerstone we have that you see when you walk in. And when you think about that cornerstone or a cornerstone in any building, what does it represent? It represents what the building or the organization was meant to do. And so when we dedicated that that first night, it was meant that as we gather together as God's people, we see that, and we don't see a piece of furniture, because if, if you're online and you haven't seen it, I should post a picture online again, but, but it, it's a movable cornerstone since we're in a rented building. Uh, but it's our cornerstone here. It ha- like many cornerstones, it has things that we've put in it. We've put in prayers. We've put in some other things that are meaningful. And as we do that, uh, we're doing that so that we remember what we're rooted in and, and meant to do. And we can't really lose sight of it at the moment, at least the cornerstone, because it's right there. But we can lose sight of the promises. Sometimes, though, you actually lose sight of the cornerstone itself. Here, here's something I, I, I didn't realize. Did you know that the, corner, the original cornerstone of the U.S. Capitol building is lost? Now, in, in my mind, I say, how do you lose a cornerstone? It, it's kind of bizarre to me, but there are, are records of the cornerstone being laid. In fact, it, here's a Here's a picture from the Capitol building, if you can see it, and it shows George Washington involved in laying that cornerstone. We have records uh, of this occurring. But somewhere along the line, as the Capitol was, was expanded, as the British attacked in 1811, or 1812 rather, as, as these different things happened, somewhere along the lines, that cornerstone was buried or lost. The, 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 the metal inscription on it must have fallen off. And so it was back in the 90s. 1991, the, the ninth architect of the Capitol, George White, actually, you can see in this picture here, he, they were excavating inside the Capitol building so that people could try to search for the lost cornerstone. They were using metal detectors trying to find that, that inscription. They dug down. They think maybe they found it. They're not positive because the metal's gone. They don't know where it went. 
cornerstone was lost. And so even though we build buildings on cornerstones, and even though symbolically we use cornerstones to say, this is what we're rooted and meant to do, a lot of times we lose sight of it. As Christians, we lose sight of it. Jesus is challenging us here to think about what does it mean to be like him? What does it mean to be meek? We often don't want to be meek because it seems like the meek get beat up. The meek suffer. The meek get ignored. The meek don't get results. And so we start to shift, and, and, and just like the various things that happened to the Capitol building started to cover that cornerstone until today, we're not even exactly sure where it is. We start to look at our own lives, and we start to look around for that cornerstone of following Jesus, and it starts to be harder to see. Who are the meek? What does it look like to be meek? Well, we start to get a picture of it if we turn to verse 3 of Psalm 37. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So the starting point, here is the starting point of how we walk the Christian walk. We trust in the Lord. Now that, that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? But if you've been doing it for a while, you know it's anything but simple. This isn't an easy task. It's what he calls us to do. He doesn't call us to, to be strong enough. He doesn't call us to get everything right. He knows that we're fallen and that we're going to sin. We're going to mess up. But he calls us to trust in him. And that, that plays out in this psalm. Because one of the ways that we show meekness, one of the ways that we actually demonstrate that in our lives is by having patience in the weirdness of how life plays out. Because life, if this is how God wants his people, if God wants us to be meek, then why isn't that the meek succeed? Why isn't it that everything goes well? And then when we're trying to do good, why is it that we seem to always mess up and, and it just seems like everything gets messed up? And then in the meantime, while we're trying, not necessarily all that well, but we look over and we see people who have no regard for the Lord, who have no regard for his calling, what are they doing? They seem to be succeeding. Verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Now that's convicting. If you're like me, I, I fret constantly. I fret about everything. I fret about fretting. I, I, I worry. I'm an expert at worrying. I, I can brag about this. I'm good at worrying. I, I worry all the time. If you could open up my head, you would find multiple worries you could pull out at any time. Does anyone else relate to that? Yep, expert worrier? Okay. Uh, and, and part of that is made even worse because... Uh, because things aren't going well at any given time. And you, you see the wicked prospering, and you think, well, if they're prospering and God loves me, then what am I doing wrong? What am, how am I failing that, that they're prospering and I'm not? And not even, well, I don't want them to prosper, but am I doing something wrong? Have I missed the promises? We talked about that in past weeks, about the, the various preachers who will promise health and wealth if you just do have enough faith. And we know... If we look at Scripture, that's not true. That's not what God promises, and yet it creeps back in, and we think, but God still is the source of blessing. 
and I want to see God's kingdom happen now. I want to experience the promises that he has for, for me now. I want to see the promise he has for, for all of you right now. I want to see God's promises for this church right now. And it's really tempting as I fret to think, well, maybe I should do a little bit more of what other people do. Maybe if I just quit trying to do it God's way, it would go better. Now, first I need to examine myself and admit that I'm not very good at even going and doing it God's way, so there's that. But even when I'm doing it, I'm actually getting it. Even when I'm locked in and I'm going exactly where God wants me to go, it often isn't happening the way I think it should. Notice what, what he says, what David says. He says that when we fret and we allow that to build up, it leads to evil. Why does it lead to evil? Because it starts to chip away at my trust in the Lord. And the more I, I lose that trust and the more I instead trust in myself and my own solutions, I start to stoop to the approach that the very people who oppose me do. I start to stoop to those, the ways of the world or the ways of those who don't want to follow the Lord. Verse 27, David goes on, Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Ah, there's that promise again, isn't it? Notice here, now we have the righteous inheriting the land. So it we can start to see that there's some kind of connection here between meekness and righteousness. But it sure seems easier to do what other people do instead of that. It sure seems easier to follow the ways of the world. And, and so often, if we look at the church, if we look at ourselves, if I look at myself, how often do I, I start thinking in worldly ways? How often do I just do what the world does to succeed? More than I'd like to admit. It seems easier. And, and, and the longer we wait, the longer we, we're stuck in a place of patience and waiting, the more we start to doubt what God's calling us to do. We look at that wicked man who appears successful, but there's a huge but here. Yes, we're called to righteousness. Yes, the wicked seem to be prospering, but David says, I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. So David says, imagine a really, really healthy tree. We had some storms this week. Maybe you had some tree limbs break. You're reminded of how big a tree is when tree limbs break. So he's saying, imagine this beautiful laurel tree all stretched out. That's what it often feels like when I'm looking at the wicked. They're, they're, they're huge, and they seem to be prospering, and they seem to be growing, and I seem to be this little tree over here that's just dropping its leaves and suffering. And, and it just doesn't seem to be going well, and I feel hopeless. And David says, but then he dies, and where does he go? You can't find him. He's not in God's presence. He's not prospering anymore. You see, the problem is, our measure of success. Our problem is what we think of as blessed. The problem is what we think of as even inheriting the earth. What does it look like? Well, it starts with 
what David refers to in the beginning of the psalm, after he says to trust, which is delight in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We need to root ourselves in delight of the Lord. That's our point of success. We can experience that right now as we we think about God's promises, as we even think about the promise that we we had right after confession of of God's grace, not because of our righteousness, because of his calling of us and how he empowers us to do his calling, again, not because of our works, but because of his grace. We start to get a picture of how we delight in God now. And that delight builds Right now, it's, it's a foretaste. It's an appetizer. We get a little bit of delight in the Lord, and we experience a little bit of what it means to be with Him and, and, and in His presence, but, but not the fullness. The fullness is to come. We see that in verse 37. Psalm goes on, Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Notice that the calling to delight in God takes us back to the calling to trust in God. And so we see that the two build and 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 strengthen us in both of them. We trust in God, we take refuge in Him, which enables us to delight in Him, which enables us to trust in Him. And so it's a virtuous cycle that starts at the beginning of the psalm, delight and trust in the Lord. As we're delighting and trusting in the Lord, He doesn't immediately change everything. He doesn't immediately take away all the fretting. I wish He would. I'd do a lot better if I didn't fret all the time. I'd, quit, I'd make a lot fewer mistakes if I didn't fret all the time. Because I'm so caught up in what I'm worrying about, I end up often doing what I'm worrying about. But if I see him as the refuge, and I see his salvation as my refuge, if that is where I stake my claim, spirit starts to chip away even at that fretting. Not instantaneously. Boy, I'd like to say it is. But I, I think any of you that have been following Jesus for a long time, know that's not the case. But we delight in him. We start to experience that delight, and it builds. In Psalm 37, when we started, we talked about how Jesus was referring back to verse 11. We looked at it. And note that when he says, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves, he he doesn't stop there. He says, delight themselves in abundant peace. What kind of peace? You say, I follow Jesus and it doesn't seem like it gives me peace. It gives me suffering. People don't like me. I didn't, I didn't even open the, the exact numbers, but apparently a new survey is out that showed that fewer Americans believe in God than at any other time recorded. It's awful. It also means it's more challenging for us who do. Because there are fewer people who are even sympathetic to what we're doing. A lot more people think that, that they should be angry at us for standing for the things that we find in God's Word because why are you paying attention to this book? 
And if our, our stronghold is in peace in this moment, peace in our country, peace in our world, we're going to go right back to fretting. But if our, if our refuge is in God and his salvation, we can delight in his peace in that moment. And that's what we're told that we receive when we trust in Jesus. Romans chapter 4. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We obtain his peace. We experience it in this moment. It doesn't mean that everything is peaceful. But we have peace with him. We have peace with him when we go right back into those old patterns. We, we start fretting again. We start trying to trust in our own strength again. We go and run to the ways of the world again. But then we come back to him. And what do we experience? We experience his peace. We need God's help to live his way. We can't do it on our own. And part of what the Beatitudes are intended to tell us is that these things, we're not, we can't accomplish these things. If, if we see this as we should, as a list of here's, the, here's what the kingdom looks like, here's what the people of God look like, and this is where Jesus is starting his sermon. And you think about, you may qualify for a settlement if. What we should be thinking is, then I don't qualify. Jesus qualified. If we had time to actually go through every verse of this psalm, there's 40 verses. I encourage you, if you didn't catch it a few months ago when we were going through it in our reading plan, go back and read Psalm 37. But there's something really, really interesting, I think, in Psalm 37 about how this has developed. In verse 9, we're told that the evildoer shall be cut off. We've We've heard that throughout the psalm but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 11, we're told the meek shall inherit the land. Verse 22, those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. So we see this picture, this multifaceted picture. What does it look like to inherit the land? And what does it really look like? It looks to be someone who is his. Someone who trusts in him. Someone who waits on the Lord and his work. So hard. So this is saying that whole process of trusting and delighting in the Lord is how we experience what it is to be his. And as we do those things, it starts to make us look like the meek. You see, in the ancient world, oftentimes the meek were looked down upon because what were the meek? The meek were those who got squashed. The meek were those who wouldn't stand up for themselves. The meek were those who should be, this is awful, owned by someone else, they said, because they can't take care of themselves. Awful. That's how they viewed it. And then Jesus comes out in the midst of this context and says, guess who is going to inherit the earth? It's not the great kings or the great generals. It's the meek. Those who trust in Jesus. Because what do we see in Jesus? We see someone who demonstrates meekness. 
It's not about lacking power. It's about lacking the desire to bring everything forth by power. But through his love, what did he do? He could have refused the cross. He could have smited everyone that wanted to send him there. He could have brought fire and brimstone down, maybe preserved one or two people like Noah and started a whole new human humanity. He could have done that. He could have rained fire down like Sodom and Gomorrah. He's God. He could have done it, and yet he didn't. Why didn't he do it? Show us what true humanity looks like. And in doing that, to take on what we should have done and offer it to us. And that's the beauty uh, of what we see when we think about that promise in in Romans 5 that, that we experience peace with God through these promises. What does David say way back in this psalm? Who, who inherits the earth? It's those blessed by God. Not those who earn God's favor. Not those who get enough right. Not those who always say the right thing or do the right thing. Not those even who don't fret all the time. Who inherits the earth? Those blessed by God. Who's blessed by God? Those called by God. Those who, in other words, take refuge in him. Those who experiences those promises because Jesus is their Lord and Savior. And in that, then, he starts to bring out these different facets of doing his will and trusting further in him and delighting in him. Ever have one of these little multi-purpose tools? I always like them. They're kind of fascinating. I can never find what I need on them very easily. Well, there's pliers, at least. Um... And then, let's see what else we've got here. If I can get it out. Ah, this looks kind of handy. I'm not really sure what you do with this serrated knife, but, but here it is. Um, I think there's a screwdriver in here somewhere. There's a file. Ah, there's a screwdriver. Let's see, how do I get that out? Well, oh, there it is. Oh, that, no, that's a bottle opener. Um, anyway, we... You know, we struggle, and this tool isn't immediately perfectly useful, right? Because uh, maybe you'd get it open right away, but I'm taking a little time here. Um, But we know it has lots of ability to do things. And and at the same time, it would seem like, well, wouldn't it be better just to have a screwdriver and a knife and this and that? But we, you know, then you try to carry that all around, and then you need a tool belt, and, and then you can't sit down because you're poking the chair with all your your screwdrivers and stuff, and this you can put in your pocket and have. And so it becomes incredibly useful even if it takes a little time to see it fully come to use. When we hear about what God calls us to, we think, well, why would I want to be meek? Why don't I just go and get the blunt force of just going and making things the way I think they should be? Why don't I just give everyone the what for? Why don't I just act like the world? And as I do that, I'm starting to build that tool belt of worldly power. No offense to people with tool belts. They're actually really great things if you're a craftsman or or, or a skilled profession. Probably not so great for me because I'll break more things than I try to fix. But, but, you know, we see how that works and we think, well, why do I want this thing that seems like it's not very powerful? And And yet, you have this in your pocket and something breaks and you struggle a little bit to get the the right piece out, and then you think, boy, I'm sure glad I have this. That's often how it is when we start to follow the way of meekness. Because we think it'd be so much easier if I just used that blunt force, if I just had that power. 
But then we start to realize something that's even better than a tool belt or a keychain or anything else, which is that it's not that I have a multi-tool with me. I have God with me. I have the Spirit of the living God with me at every moment. So it's not just struggling with this. Yes, I'm struggling because God develops us, and in the moment, I don't always know how to access all the tools that he has for us. I don't, I don't know how to experience his refuge in every moment. Some days it doesn't feel like I have any idea how to experience his refuge because I'm just, I'm just afraid. But as we trust in him, he starts to unfold the tool and bring it more and more into focus. And he tells us how to get the ones out we can't figure out how to get out. We start to see, well, wait a second here. I couldn't figure it out. But God is in control. And as he does, I really can't figure it out. Um, As God is in control, he starts to bring about his kingdom. I'd love to see it in completion right now. Sometimes we try to create approximations of that. He calls us to trust in him and take refuge in him. And as we do, we start to experience that delight. And yes, when we live as the meek, it's not always going to be comfortable. People are going to get angry at us People are going to take advantage of us. People are going to think we're foolish. But God doesn't. God blesses us. He enables us to do righteousness, to be patient, to be meek. And then he takes that tool that he's refining in us, all those pieces that, that come together into meekness, and he starts using it to pick up the pieces of other hearts that are broken and, and tarnished by sin and to pull them together. And then he hands them one of these tools, too. He enables us to be a part of that process. We start to see people coming to faith. It looks foolish. It looks crazy. The Beatitudes look foolish and crazy. But the way our Savior works, he doesn't follow the ways of the world. He calls us to follow him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I want to do things on my own. I would really like to get them right on my own. And I don't. But every time I do, Lord, would you remind me again that I need to turn to you instead? Every time I try to somehow pull things together on my own, would you remind me to return to you instead? Every time I I think I can follow the wisdom of the world, would you bring me back. Remind me to return to you instead. Would you remind me that while the world looks at me in the moments in which by your power I best approximate meekness, and the world may look at me and laugh at me, may look at us and laugh at us, but it's pleasing to you, and you will use that thing that that doesn't look very powerful to do great work for your kingdom. Not because we're so great, but because you are. Lord, would you help us to trust in you this day and every day? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.